You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. This is a good problem to have. <laughs> if you're visiting with us this morning, we want you to know that we're really glad you're here. We don't look at this and say, we wish there weren't so many people here so we wouldn't have to figure out what to do about seating. So we want you to come back and we want you to know as well that we are in the process and have been in the process of pursuing a better facility so that we can welcome more people into the family that Jesus is forming here at Fellowship Paragold. And so we want you to know that. I'm one of the pastors. I'm Rusty along with Jared and Luke who led worship this morning. And we just want everyone here to experience the good news, what we've already sang this morning, of how Jesus has come to set us free, to break every chain, to give us new life, and to give us hope in the gospel. But as great as our gathering is, and I know that I've already, I feel like, experienced the presence of the Spirit this morning, the most important way and the, the most central way that you can get involved in the family of God here at Fellowship is through a missional community. And you may be wondering, what is a missional community? You came here maybe just uh, off the street or because a friend invited you this morning. A missional community is a family of missionary servants. And to put that into to a framework that you might can better understand, it's a small group of people who commit together to live as family, seeking to reach other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so after the service, you can have other ways that you can learn more about these missional communities. One is Jared will be at the door. He'll have a paper on your way out that can tell you about these different missional communities and what it means to be a part of them. And Luke will also mention something about this at the end. Well, this morning, if you'd open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, we're kicking off a new series on family. It's called Family Matters, and you can see it right there. And so we want to take a few weeks just to focus on what it means to live out the gospel within our marriages and within our families. And you may be here thinking this morning, well, I don't know why I came. I'm single. Or I don't know why I came. I, I'm, I'm no longer married. Or, I've, or for whatever reason in my life, I, I don't have children. And so how will this series apply to me? And I just want to encourage you to, to be a part of this. And to not check out or to think this doesn't apply to you. Because what we're going to see in each of these messages is that all of these things that deal with the family are so much bigger than the family. And so it's all about the gospel. And I think you're going to find yourself in each of these messages as equally applied to as someone who is married. Whether, you have, whether you're married or have children. So Ephesians chapter 5. We're not going to look at all of these verses in the depth this morning, I'm going to talk about the, the overall arching purpose of marriage. Jared, next week, we'll talk about what it means to be a biblical man, a biblical woman within the life of a family. And then the following week after that, Luke will talk about parenting and what it means to follow Jesus as parents who raise their children after Christ. But Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 25. And then as we get into the sermon, we'll focus on verses 31 through 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we ask you right now to just fill us with your spirit. To open our eyes that we might see the truth of your word. We ask that Jesus would be exalted, would be known. We pray, God, right now that you would be humbling us to open our hearts to whatever you want to show us today. We pray, God, that you would change us. We pray that you would expose us and you would heal us. And I pray, God, even as I come, that now you would help me to rest in this gospel I seek to proclaim. I pray you would protect my lips to not say anything that would dishonor you. And Lord, we ask that only what is true to your word would take root in the hearts of everyone here. And God, we ask all of this for your glory in the authority of Jesus. Amen. Well, in recent days or recent years, there has been an added attention and spotlight to the term bridezilla. Now, I've never seen it, but I think there's actually a TV show called Bridezillas. Am I correct? All right, thank you. I see a confirmation there. These bridezillas see their wedding, see their marriage as all about them. And not just to pick on the ladies. We know there's also, I guess, what we could call groomzillas as well. And I found a few examples of bridezillas that to me were, were quite funny. I'm not going to read you the whole story of these, but just, just summarize them. One bridezilla kicked out a bridesmaid out of the wedding party because she was pregnant, and so she would ruin all of the photos. So she's out. Another one, this is even better, made all of the bridesmaids dye their hair brown so she could be the only blonde. Now this one might be my favorite, though. One bridezilla threw a temper tantrum, complete with screaming and stomping, because her grandmother had the audacity to die a few hours before her wedding. It's my day! <laughs> and one said this, in case you have forgotten, this weekend is all about me. Can you believe that people would be so self-focused when it comes to their marriage? Can you believe that people would be like this, like one groom who insisted that he be able to walk down the aisle in a Superman costume? Can you believe it? Well, I know that I can, because I walk into my house like that, a lot of days. And you do too. With a statement hanging over our lives and rooted in our hearts, it's 
all about me. You better scratch my back or I'm feeling this itch or you will pay. I think of just a couple weeks ago and even shared this with our missional community leaders where I I'd came home and I had worked really hard to, to get the house clean because that's very important to my wife. She comes in and works and I thought, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have all of this stuff done and she's going to come in and she's just going to be relaxed. And my night, my night is going to be really comfortable. I won't have to listen to her moan and groan about all that she has to do and what she has to get done and hear her say that she's overwhelmed or tired. But then she comes in and all of a sudden she starts getting busy doing this and doing that because even at my best, I still don't realize everything that she does. You women can amen that, right? And so once she starts to do all those things and starts to huff and puff and get her jobs done... You know what I do? I, I get seriously offended. Because what she should be doing, she should have came in the house and she should have pretty much just fell at my feet and said, Oh, oh, many men have done well, but thou, ex thou exceedest them all. Look at how you sacrifice. Look at how you serve. Look at what a great husband you are. Oh, I thank you. I thank you. And you see, I've got this vision of marriage that, that creeps into my heart where I take the throne of God. But I can justify it and say, all I want is a simple thank you. All I want is a little respect. All I want is a little appreciation. When really what I want is worship. And this happens in all of our lives because we forget what marriage is really all about. We forget what we read here in Ephesians. That marriage is not about putting us in the spotlight. Marriage is about putting Jesus in the spotlight. Marriage is not the good news of us. Marriage is the good news of Jesus. Marriage is not created so that our greatness is shown to our spouse or to the world. Marriage is created so that the greatness of Jesus through the gospel is displayed and pictured to the world. Sometimes we seek to think about why marriage exists. And you may be in here this morning and you're an unbeliever. And you still think marriage is important because of a, place that, a part that it plays in being sort of a foundational building block of society. Or others may think marriage is important because you get benefits such as insurance or help in other ways. But as good as many of those things might be, these are not the point of marriage. The point of marriage, the purpose of marriage is to picture the gospel, the good news of a Savior who loves His people to death and loves them into life. The purpose of marriage is to picture the gospel. How do we do that? The first thing we have to under God's, understand God's gospel plan for marriage. And we see this in our text this morning, but look back here at verse 31. And 32, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This verse is not a verse that Paul has just put down here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul here is quoting the book of Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 2. And what we see Paul pointing us back to then is marriage within the context of the larger story of salvation spanning all of history. And in the book of Genesis, we see God creating humanity. And He creates us male and female. In Genesis 1.27, it says, God created them in His image. Male and female, He created them. And as God creates Adam before woman comes along, and He's naming all of the animals, we come to Genesis 2.18, and I believe... Ryan has that, and it said, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And this is very important, because this is where so often, and when you think about the story of marriage, the purpose of marriage, that the story gets off on the right track from the beginning. Guess what? Adam was not lonely. He was alone, but he wasn't lonely. Adam had the most intimate relationship with God that you could imagine. In the book of Genesis, it said that God walked with them in the cool of the day. God says, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs a helper. A helper for what? A helper to complete the mission that I've created humanity to fulfill. The mission of glorifying me, of being my image bearers. What's an image bearer? It's like a mirror. And you're to reflect my glory by filling the earth with more people who live for my glory, who bear my image. With more people who will rule and reign over all of creation. But we have this view of Genesis that is this Jerry Maguire view. That Adam, once he sees Eve, says, Eve, you complete me. If you think that you are going to find someone and marry them and all of a sudden all of your dreams are going to come true and you will be ultimately satisfied, you need to find somebody who's already married. I'm just telling you the truth. I love my wife and she loves me and I think we have a, a, a romantic and an intimate and great relationship. But if I'm depending on her, she's depending on me to fill this some sort of God-shaped hole in my soul, it is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Marriage is not the end in itself. Marriage is a part of something bigger. And so this is why we see God then calling and giving this verse that we find here in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Why? Because marriage is created for the mission of God. God is making a big deal out of marriage from the very beginning. Humanity will flourish from it, will flow through it for the purpose of God's glory in all the earth. But it doesn't take long, does it, until humanity begins to do their own thing. And so from creation we move to fall and we see that Adam and Eve begin to go their own route. And immediately they start to blame each other for stuff. Right? God, we wouldn't have sinned if it wouldn't have been for that woman. And, well, God, I wouldn't have sinned if it wouldn't have been for that Satan. And so marriage immediately shows itself as incapable in and of itself to accomplish the purposes of God. 
But within the fall of this first marriage, the fall of humanity, a promise is given that through this marriage a son will be born and many sons will come and one of these sons will be one who sets things right. And so the story of marriage continues in Israel. God calls for himself a people. He calls for himself a people and he gives them the name his bride. And we see this in Isaiah 62.5 as well as other places says, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So God now starts to point us forward in this unfolding story of what marriage is to ultimately picture as the product of his plan for his glory. And God calls Israel his bride. So much so that we have a prophet named Hosea who God says, go and marry a prostitute, Hosea. Hosea, because I want you to see what it's like to be married to my unfaithful people. And so God lives in this relationship with his people as bride and groom until the ultimate day when the purpose of marriage begins to become more clear, the arrival of Jesus himself. Jesus is born, and unlike Adam and unlike Israel, He doesn't fail in his faithfulness to God, but succeeds in every way. And he comes as the one to rescue, to redeem, to bring the bride back to the groom. To bring the wandering wife back to the faithful groom, our God. And so in John 28 and 29, we see John the Baptist Speaking these words, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John the Baptist is saying the great Savior, the great Husband, the great groom of the people of God has arrived in Jesus Christ. This is better than anything Disney could attempt to pull off. What we have with the people of God, with the the lost vast scope of humanity, is a corpse bride that is dead and wandering in the wilderness of their sins and a Savior A king, a glorious groom arrives to scoop her up, to die for her sins, to rise for her life, to give her a a name, a glory, a beauty, a splendor that no amount of glory in this world could compare. And so Paul writes what we read in verse 32. Ephesians 5.32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. When we read this word mystery, we don't mean like something hard to understand. No, when Paul uses this word mystery, he means just something that was veiled, but is now revealed. That's the way the word mystery works. And as you read throughout the Bible, and you even see in the Gospels, that certain times people wonder, why do we even have marriage? Some of you who are married have wondered that, right? What is the point? You know, why, why would God do it this way? You know, God created us like amoebas who just subdivide, right? 
You know, just like little kids pop off of us. You know, he could have did it anyway, couldn't he? But he chose to create us gendered. He chose to create us sexual. He chose to create us male and female to image him through the love and relationships that we have together. He chose to work out the history of salvation within the context of identifying his people as his bride and his self and his groom. Why did he do that? Why is there marriage? Paul says here, the mystery is profound. The mystery that is revealed It was all to point forward, to point to the relationship of Jesus and the church. Paul here is saying God is not up in heaven when Ephesians is being sent down through him to write. What would be a good illustration of my love for the people? Is it like the sun and the stars? No, sun and the moon. Is it like the ocean and and the beach? No, oh, 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 I know. How about marriage? That kind of works. That's not what God did. God created marriage from the very beginning to be about the gospel. A picture of a, of a groom who makes a covenant and keeps it to the death and to the finish. And so in Revelation 19, 6 through 8, it's no surprise that we see the whole end of creation the whole end of eternity coming into being, that is, with this. Then I heard what seemed to be like the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Do you see this? All of history begins with a marriage, and it is going to come to consummation in a marriage. But Jesus says this interesting thing in the Gospels. I don't have this verse up there. You can look, look it up later. That there will not be marriage in heaven. Now, for some of you, that's a bummer. For others of you, that's a a prayer request. But, but why not? For those of us like myself who kind of feel like that's a bummer. Better make sure I say that. But why, why not? Because marriage's purpose will be served. Marriage is not the goal. There's some of you in here who idolize marriage, and that's why you have bad marriages. There's some of you in here who idolize marriage, and that's why you're not yet ready to get married. Marriage is a beautiful, wonderful gift, but it is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to enjoy, to experience, and display a relationship with Jesus Christ that nothing else can compare with. Some of you have seen the movie The Sixth Sense. I know it's a little old, but it's, it's a pretty cool movie, right? You've got this little boy, I see dead people. And then you get to the end of the movie, and you find out the guy that was actually helping him, Bruce Willis, is dead. And it's amazing. And what's your first inclination, at least if you're like me, i got to go back and watch the movie again. And you go back and watch the movie now, and the little kid is no longer the one who gets your attention. 
Now the main character is shifted. I'm watching Bruce Willis. I'm going to see if I can find any clue of how I see this. And it, it just totally changes the movie for you. When your focus shifts from who the main character is. When the mystery is revealed. You see, that's what Paul's talking about. The mystery revealed. Oh, now it makes sense. Now I can understand it. Now it's all made clear. This is what Paul is saying has got to happen in our marriages. We've got to understand the mystery revealed. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about what I can do, or it's not about what can be done for me. It's about how I can show His glory through loving my spouse. Jared will talk about this and. Next week, I'm sure, in the ways that this looks like practically between the relationships, and I don't want to jump the gun there, but just imagine looking back on your past week of how you were disappointed, either in yourself and your spouse, and that led you into sin. Imagine if you went back and watched the movie now, but now Jesus is the main character. Imagine, wives, how you would respond when he didn't pursue you, cherish you, and listen to you, and then you judged him in however way that you did. If now, wow, this is about Jesus. Husbands, imagine your past week when she didn't respect you, appreciate you, believe in you, or affirm you. And then you responded with the cold shoulder, or however, whatever your form of judgment is. Imagine now you go back and you view that in the lens of the gospel of a Savior who not only will take, be offended by his bride, but will die for her while she is the very one killing him. Now imagine what next week could look like. As you go into this afternoon, as you go into this next week, what could it look like if Jesus, if picturing the gospel is the purpose that guides your marriage? I guarantee you it'll change everything. It'll change everything. And you will find, though, there will be nothing harder that God is calling you to do. You will find yourself more dependent on the Spirit. You will find yourself more needy of the gospel. You will find yourself more a dependent recipient of God's grace than ever before. If you want to picture the gospel in your marriage, then you must understand this is the purpose. If you're here and you're this single, this is what we need you to pray for our marriages. That we will picture the gospel. If you're single and you want to be married, this is what you must pursue marriage for, to picture the gospel. I just want to draw a few implications from this. If we're to picture the gospel through understanding God's gospel plan through marriage, then we must have a gospel perspective for marriage. And if gospel marriage, if marriage is the story of God's glory, then guess what? He's the writer. Okay, he's the writer. That means his script must set the standard. Where does Paul go back to? The Word of God written in Genesis. We could go to Matthew chapter 19 and see Jesus goes back to this very same passage in Genesis. A man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. A marriage that is going to live out the purpose of picturing the gospel must be committed to follow the same script. And that's the Word of God. Cassie and I, early on in our marriage, one night, and you'll see, we can get in a fight over anything. But one night, we got in a fight playing Monopoly. How in the world does that happen? What kind of depraved sinner are you? Well, we had different rules we're playing by. 
in my experience, in my family, we play till the end. I don't care if you stay up till four in the morning. You finish the thing out. In her experience, I guess where there was some more reason involved, you set a time limit and then you see whoever has the most property. Well, I, that just made no sense to me. I was probably losing when the time was up. But because we were both playing by a different script, by a different set of rules, we had no common vision and foundation for building our monopoly game on. You see, in a relationship, in a marriage, you can be uh, two people who are basically very different. But if both of you say, no matter what, we're going to follow the Word of God, then you have a foundation that you can stand on till the finish. But you have to let Him give you the script for the story of marriage. You know, I've heard grown men in affairs look at me and sound like teenagers. Well, you just don't understand how she makes me feel, this person he's having an affair with. I've heard grown women say things like, but, but, he, but my coworker just listened to me like my husband never does. Guess what? There's going to be seasons in your marriage, if you don't already know this, where you, you really don't feel a lot. If the foundation of your marriage is your feelings for one another, then that is a faulty foundation. But if you say, no matter how we feel, honey, baby, we're going to let God's script be the foundation for our marriage. And you've got somewhere to stand. One man gives the example of someone putting on a shirt and they get the first button wrong, what, and then the rest are all wrong. If you don't get the foundation set right, everything else is going to be on shaky ground. But it's not just his script. You've got you to let him be the director, right? If marriage is his story, if it's not marriage starring you, but it's marriage with Jesus at the center... He's got to be the director. Our youngest son, Josiah, he is hilarious. And one of the things he likes to do when we're building blocks, and by the way, I'm a better block builder than he is, but he does not respect that. And so I will build something, and he will tear it down and say, that's not right. That's not right. He only allows me to be his assistant. I mean, it would be like me having uh, LeBron James or whoever your favorite sports player is and saying, hey, I'm, going, I'm in charge, but will you, will you, you can help me out a little bit, you know, with coaching these kids. This is how some of us live in our marriages. We make Jesus our assistant. In Ephesians chapter 5 here, we see Jesus is an assistant. He's Lord. He's Lord. What some of you want is you want Jesus to be your temporary therapist to get your marriage back to where you can still be the sinner, but everything be okay. That is only going to be a temporary band-aid for a cancer beneath your soul. Because the story of marriage has Jesus not as your helper, your assistant, but as Lord. It's why some of you look at your spouse and you say, you bring out the worst in me. If it wasn't for you, look where I could be in my life. 
You don't realize that when you say that things, God's not revealing your spouse as much as He's revealing your heart. Because you've just exposed that your life is centered around you. Your own personal happiness, your own personal dreams, and your own personal goals. When when God is let be the God that He is, and Jesus is on the throne of the Lord of your life, then you realize that your holiness is more important than your present happiness. That the director says, I am ordaining, I am planning all things in your life, including your marriage, to make you more like Jesus. And I will give you a greater joy, if you will trust me, than trust yourself. So if marriage is his story for his glory, you must let him give you the script. You must let him be the director. But to bring us full circle here, you must remember Jesus is the star. He's the star of this, this movie we live called Marriage. Have you ever had, known someone that was like an extra in a movie? I remember one time, I tried to remember what the movie was, and for some reason it it slipped my mind. But I remember we had to go to their house and watch the movie. And it was all like building up to this one scene where they like walked by in the background. Did you see me? Did you see me? Pause it, rewind. Did you see me? It's like some of you maybe have been on the local news before. Hopefully not describing what the tornado sounded like. But, uh, But you're like, all right. Back in the day, I guess DVR now, but, you know, let's get the VCR tape, VHS ready. Remember that, some of you? Why? It's all about me, right? You might have this three-second clip, right? But it's all about you. You totally miss the point. And you could miss an awesome movie because all you're doing is just waiting. When am I going to pop out? You see, God's not wanting to punish you and say, yeah, marriage stinks, but I've got a purpose for it. No, he's saying marriage can be better than you can even imagine. It's just quit looking in the mirror and look to Jesus. He's not calling you just to endure some cross. He's calling you, though, to deny yourself and follow him, the cross he carried Not because He doesn't love you, but because He loves you that much. He loves you that much. You see, some of you husbands and wives don't realize God's not just giving you something to survive. He's giving you a mission. You and your spouse are on mission together. Is that how you look at your marriage you look at your wife, you look at your husband. Husbands, you need to lead the way in this when you pray together and say, Honey, we have the privilege today to show this world a glimpse of the gospel. By the way we love one another, we can show this world Jesus' love. If you're like me, you're like, Well, I thought my marriage was bad enough. Now I really think it's bad. Now it seems worse. Well, guess what? Now you're where you need to be. Because you will show the world no greater picture of the gospel than by a life of continued repentance. 
by a life of continued forgiveness. By a life of never quitting and giving up. You see, divorce isn't chiefly bad because it causes a lot of discomfort in your life, or I know this would be sad to say, because it makes things harder on kids. It's because it preaches a gospel that says Jesus will leave you and forsake you. You see, pornography and sex outside of marriage isn't primarily bad because that's just what good people don't do and it could lead to some bad consequences or don't you know you could get pregnant or get a disease? Well, it's primarily bad because it shows a gospel where Jesus says, I'll just use you and come and go as I please without any commitment. You see, redefining what marriage is between man and a woman, it's not just bad because it's, it breaks traditional norms. No, it's because it paints a picture of a God whom we cannot trust to design things for our best. Marriage is to picture the gospel. If you're here this morning, you may think, well, I've never seen a good marriage. I don't even know what that looks like. Well, it starts by, first of all, you looking to Jesus. By seeing Jesus looking at you in all of your sin, all of your mess, all of the incompatibility that you have with Him. <laughs> and Him saying, I love you so much, I'm going to become like you. I'm not going to step away from where you are, I'm going to enter where you are. I'm not going to walk away from your pain. I'm going to enter your pain. I'm going to enter your story. And what Jesus did is he lived that life for you. Jesus then went to the cross and he said, I love you so much. Everyone in here, I love you so much that even though you reject me, even though you, to use the words of Hosea, even though you have ran around on me and you deserve to die, you deserve to be cast away, I'm going to take all of that shame and guilt on me so that I can cleanse you and bring you home with me. And then he rises from the dead so that not only can you know your sins are forgiven, but so you can now have a new life. And one day he will return and present you spotless before the Father. He will say, Father, this is my bride. I love her. He says that to each of you in here today. And you will never be able to love your wife. You will never be able to love your husband like Jesus has loved you. You will never be able to show the gospel through your marriage until you have received that gospel. One man, Tim Keller, says it this way. We must say to ourselves something like this. Well, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't think, I'm giving myself to you because you are so attractive to me. No, he was in agony and he looked down at us, denying him, abandoning him, betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loved us, not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely. We've got to say, that is why I'm going to love my spouse. We have to speak to that gospel to our hearts so that we can show that gospel to the world. As long as we live by our script under our direction and for our glory, then we are going to miss out on the joy of 
marriage. But if we see that the purpose of marriage is to picture the gospel, then yes, we've got a lot of work to do. But we find ourselves not as a part of merely something we have to endure, but a glorious mission to be displayed in the kitchens and the closets, the corners of our homes, and also in the public places, in our missional communities, in our fight clubs, for the glory of Jesus to the world. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Father, that when we have made our lives all about us, when we've made our marriages all about us, that you continue to love us. You didn't cast us away. You have never left us nor forsake us. So help us to receive, to accept, to stand in that love so that we can give it away again and again in your power. Father, we ask you today that you would convict husbands and wives that you would give them the willingness and humility to look back even on this past week, these past couple days, and see where they, they didn't believe the gospel because they, they punished their husband or wife when they didn't serve them as they saw fit. Lord, would you maybe even lead them to ask for repentant forgiveness today to you and to them. Father, we need you. We cannot do this apart from your power and your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.